Oh, well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome, welcome. So glad to have you with us today as everyone is still sort of making their way in and dropping kids off. We want to go ahead and get started this morning. And we love starting our worship service with baptism. We love this because of what baptism means what it symbolizes. So if you're new to church or new to a Baptist church, let me explain to you what you're about to see. So you're going to see someone come down into the water, and we're going to put them all the way under and all the way back up. And we do that for a reason. Number one, the Bible, we believe, tells us to do that. But he tells us to do that for a very specific reason. It's a symbol of two things. Baptism is a picture, right? It's a picture, number one, of Jesus Christ dying Being buried and then rising again to new life. And then second, when you're baptized, it's a picture of you dying to your old life and rising again to a new life in Jesus. Baptism does not make you a Christian any more than me putting on this ring makes me married. But what it is, it's a picture of a greater relationship, a greater covenant that you've made with God, that you've believed by faith in Jesus Christ. He has saved you, forgiven you, and made you new. And this is your way of telling the church Jesus has done this with me. So we can all celebrate in that and rejoice in that. So I want to introduce you to someone. Daniel, come on down, bud. This is Daniel Honeycutt. He comes to us this morning excited about what the Lord has done in his life. And to hear a little bit about Daniel's testimony, why don't you watch the screen? Hello, I'm Daniel Honeycutt, and I have been living my life full of sin for 36 years. I'm thankful for that sin as I think without that, I would not be here today. For 16 years, I've been married to my wife, Ashley Honeycutt. And for the majority of that life, she has been praying for this moment to take place. I grew up in an environment full of physical and mental abuse. I lacked a role model and I lived my life without God. I was living my life full of addictions, living with shame and guilt of those addictions, as well as the chaos that I was putting our relationship through. I started to ask myself, how am I still here? How does my wife still love me through all of this? And then how does God still love me through all of this? As I was attending church with my wife, by her leadership, I, one step at a time, began to change until one morning service, the moment that changed my life forever took place. My body was completely on fire but comfortable. My eyes were pouring of tears of joy and the most empowering feeling I'd ever had had happened. And at that moment, I began to have my connection with God. I'm here today to be baptized and to give myself and my obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to live my life for him. Amen. Amen. All right. Ready? All right. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. Daniel, it is now my privilege and my honor, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Hang on. Let me pray for you real quick. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for your, your work in his life. Thank you for all that you've done in him already. I pray, God, that you are going to do even more. I pray these, this fruit uh, grows more and more and more. I pray the roots of salvation go deep inside of him, Lord, and he's able to see you do phenomenal things for your glory in his life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate our living hope, Christ Jesus. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation. I turned to heaven, spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What I could fathom, such boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from
That sound good. You know the people that really love Jesus because they come to the early service on Daylight Savings Weekend. Uh, you know, um, as, we, as we move forward in our service, if you've been here before, you know one of the things that we want to do is spend a little time worshiping together in prayer. Um, and how we do that is we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have what's called the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus sort of lays out a model prayer. And so we kind of go through that little piece by piece. And so I want to pull out a section of that here this morning and let that be a guide for us in our prayers. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, in that Lord's Prayer, Jesus uh, is praying to the Father and he says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Uh, Jesus very clearly understood that there is demonic warfare. There is an enemy of our soul. He hates us. He wants to destroy us and everything that we love. And really, he wants to destroy us because he wants to destroy God and destroy everything that God loves. And, And one of the great schemes of Satan is to lead people away in their walk with Christ. Um, Many of us probably have friends or family who would fit into this category. Someone who used to seemingly walk faithfully with the Lord, uh, but something has happened to cause them to stray. And I want us to spend a little time this morning praying specifically for them. Again, there's probably... Every one of us has someone on our hearts, someone that we know. If you've been a Christian for long, if you've been involved in church for long, uh, you probably know someone that fits into this category. Boy, they used to really seem to walk faithfully with the Lord, and then just something happened. Don't know what it was. Maybe you do know what it was. But but something happened, and it's caused them to, to struggle now in their walk. And so I want us to take a little time and pray specifically for them. So first is this. I want you to stop just for a second. Let's go to the prayer. All right, let's close your eyes. And I want to encourage you just for a second, ask the Lord if there's anyone that he would specifically want you to pray for, all right? Um, If there's anyone that he brings to your heart, maybe not even the person that you first thought of, but is there someone that he brings to your mind? You're going to see a name, a face, something that he would want you to pray for. And in that, I've got some prayer prompts for us. And I'll I'll throw them up on the screen so you can see them. Some things for us to be praying through. We'll just kind of walk through them. One, I want to encourage you to pray, Father, I pray that so-and-so will be assured of your love and acceptance of them in Christ. Can you pray this for this person that's on your heart? Pray that they would be absolutely assured that through faith in Christ, God loves them and accepts them, regardless of how much they've wondered or what they've done or how much they've doubted or what they've said about God or God's people. It does not change the fact that they are totally loved and accepted by God in Christ. Can you pray that the Lord assures them of that? pray also Father I pray for this person that they will be healed of any emotional mental spiritual or physical scars that have led them to walk away oftentimes people get hurt they get wounded mentally emotionally physically spiritually it causes them to really struggle in the faith we want to pray that God heals those wounds up that God brings healing there brings restoration there so they can walk in the fullness of all that God has for them. Can you just lift that up? We want to pray also being honest that look walking away from God is sin. So we want to pray that God brings conviction there and that they repent. So can we just pray, Father, I pray for this person that they will repent of any sin that has led them to walk away. 
whatever that might be, whatever in their life that they have treasured more than Jesus, they have pursued more than Jesus, they have wanted more than Jesus. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a job. Whatever that thing is that took the place of God and has now led them away. Can you pray that God brings conviction and repentance to them for that? Also, oftentimes people in their struggle with the Lord has a lot to do with church because church is full of very, very, very imperfect people who do things in very imperfect ways. But God still loves His church. We are the bride of Christ. So can you pray, Father, I pray for this person that they will love the church the same way Jesus does and will see their need for being a part of the body. Pray that God will protect them from the lie that they don't need church. It's just full of people that are going to hurt me. I don't need that. Pray that God shows them that this is a lie from Satan and will protect them from this lie. And pray, Father pray for this person that they will see you at work in their life and know that you are there that you love them and that you desire them God we just lift up these these people that we love these people that we care for these people that we desire so deeply to see walk in a in a renewed empowered relationship with you God I know there are so many things that can cause people to stumble and struggle and doubt and fear and get hurt and not want to get hurt again there'd be so many things I ask you Lord for the people that, that are represented in this room the people that are near and dear to our hearts the people that we are lifting up in prayer I ask specifically for them today God that you would draw them again that you would draw them to faith like that prodigal son that was gone and realized I had it so much better when I was walking with the father I want to go back to him I pray, Lord, that they would see your grace and see your mercy and see your love and see your compassion welcoming them in. I pray, God, that we would be a place that sees many who have walked away from the Lord or or struggled in their faith or walked away from church come to a restored relationship with you and your people. I pray, God, that we would be a place of restoration and healing and hope. I pray, God, that you would allow this to be that kind of place where people who have been busted up and been wounded can come in and see you bring healing and wholeness to their lives. God, I pray that you would allow us to experience that for your glory. Let us see the people that we're praying for renewed in you. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. And all God's people said, amen. <clears throat> amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find the book of James together, all right? It's James chapter 4. James 4. We're going to be in verse 13. So if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you know we've been working our way through the book of James. And our big idea for James has been a faith that saves you will also change you. If you are truly in Christ, you're going to be different. You're going to be changed. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. We've seen all of this, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to live 
differently. And so as we go through James, we're seeing very practical ways of living out the faith on a day-to-day basis. And so we're going to do the exact same thing this week as well. So the whole idea of this week that we're going to tackle is how do we see the Lord at work in our day-to-day lives? How do we allow God to lead us in everyday situations? So... To come at this, I want to kind of come at it from a different angle. I want to introduce you to a term and define it for you. Practical atheist. A practical atheist. Um, Practical atheists actually believe in God. Practical atheists attend a church that they decide that they like. They get married to someone they choose to love. They select a job that they think would be interesting to them. They grow a family. They buy and sell homes. They they buy cars and things and toys. And they expand their portfolios and investments. And they slip off into retirement. All the while riding the current of culture and completely and totally forgetting to include God in any of it. Practical atheism is living and thinking and deciding without ever giving any reason, any serious thoughts to the word of God or the will of God in your life. And when I talk about practical atheists, I'm not talking about lost people. Because in James 4, we're going to see that the context here is very much clearly talking about believers in Christ. We're talking about Christians who attend church on Sunday and watch their P's and Q's and try to stay out of trouble, but they do not seek to have God lead them in their day-to-day life. They live in a way that makes themselves the ultimate decision makers for the things in their life. And the best way you can spot a practical atheist is to listen to the advice they give their children. You need to grow up and go to a good college and get a good education So you can get a good paying job and meet a good guy or girl. So you can have a good family, living in a good neighborhood, having a good life. And as parents, as me being one, I've got four of my own. You would hear something like that and go, well, obviously, why wouldn't that be God's plan for my kid's life? I mean, it makes complete and total sense, right? I mean, God wouldn't want my child to struggle. Well, maybe he does. Maybe allowing your child to struggle is God's appointed means to sanctify them, to make them a giant in the faith. Maybe your plan for your kid's life is not God's plan for your kid's life. And in teaching your child to line up their life in the way that just makes common sense is actually teaching them how to be a practical atheist, just like many of their parents, who confess faith in Christ and genuinely are believers. But when it comes to the day-to-day living out of your life, you just do what seems right to you. The big idea that I want you to see today, really two big ideas kind of coming together. Pride assumes what our future will be. Humility leads us to set our future in God's hands. Right? Pride assumes what our future is going to be. But humility leads us to set our future in God's hands. Uh, Last week, if you were with us, we saw James 4, 6 that said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. He literally declares war against pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. But he showers grace on the humble. So here's the question, though. How do you know which camp you're in? How do you know if you're being prideful or if you're being humble? Because here's the thing. You ready? Pride is super sneaky. 
right? We're being prideful and not even realizing that we're doing it. So how do we know? Thankfully, James here in verses 13 through 17 gives us a practical example of how pride manifests itself in day-to-day living. So let's read this. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is written, or excuse me, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we're looking today at the life of a practical atheist, someone who says they believe in God, but they actually don't seek him for direction in their day-to-day life. And to kind of get our hands around this idea of what a practical atheist looks like, what their day-to-day life looks like, um, I want to borrow something. A guy by the name of Steve Davey, he's a pastor theologian. And in his commentary on, uh, on this passage, he, he does a really good job of kind of laying out the, the, the actions of a practical atheist. So look at verse 13 again. I want to kind of lay this stuff out. Like, what are some of the practical things that, an a, that, a, that a practical atheist does? At verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I like what Davy says. Davy says, one, a practical atheist chooses their own timetable. Right? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go. Right, today and at the latest tomorrow, now's the perfect time. Have you prayed about it? Why bother? Why wouldn't God want me to do this now? It's a good idea. It makes sense. Today at the latest tomorrow, let's do this thing. Let's do it. Let's hop on it. Let's go. Second, a practical atheist chooses their own destination. Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town. In other words, I've decided where I'm going to go, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to move. Have you prayed about that? Well, what's the point? God, clearly, I mean, this is a good decision. It's a good neighborhood. It's a good house. It's a great deal. Why wouldn't God want me to do that? Practical atheist chooses their own tenure. We're going to go spend a year there. The practical atheist wants to decide when they're going to start and when they're going to stop. They're in charge of that. They choose their own occupation. We're going to go spend a year there in trade. The word trade is where we get our English word emporium, like a place of travel, a place of trade, a place of business. The practical atheist says, I'm going to go here, and this is exactly what I'm going to do while I'm there. And then they choose their own outcome. We're going to go spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. This is the ultimate outcome, the ultimate desire of their heart. Things are going to go well for me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to succeed. Why would God be against that? It makes sense, right? I want to make a profit. Therefore, I'm going to do this particular business in this particular city for about a year. And if I go right now, the timing should be perfect. It makes sense. Why would God be against that? The world out there lives and plans and decides and moves and works like that. That's how they think. And we would expect them to think like that because they're not followers of Christ. But what James is getting at here is we inside the church, we are who followers of, are followers of Christ, often do this exact same thing. We act 
and move and think and reason and plan without any real fault of what God would have to say about it. Because it just makes sense. Here's what I want to do, so I'm going to make my plan, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get it done. Now, real quick to be clear, God is not anti-planning. Proverbs is abundantly clear that God cares a lot about planning, talks a lot about planning. It's a very, very good thing. It's not bad. I'm a planner, right? I mean, I've got a retirement plan. We were talking actually the other day. I set my wife down and just said, hey, I think we need to rework this and rethink this. I'm not quite sure this is doing everything that we need it to do. We got that, right? We got a plan to pay off the house and, and, and uh, retire. I mean, we're Dave Ramsey baby, in our step in, baby stepping our way through this thing, right? We're, we're all in. We plan. My oldest daughter, she's looking at colleges now. We're going through all that. We're making visits, and we're doing all the stuff, and we're planning financial aid, and what do you want to major, and we're doing all those things. There's nothing wrong with planning. I will ask for your prayer um, in that. As you know, I'm a, I'm a Clemson guy, and her top school right now is NC State, so pray for me in that. Of course, it could be worse. She could want to go to Chapel Hill, and then I'd have to disown her, so that, would, that wouldn't be good. But there's nothing wrong with planning. The problem with these people here in verse 13, and I want you to hear this. This this is where the rubber meets the road for us. God is not anti-planning. The problem God has with the people here in verse 13 is, you read it, they're making that plan and haven't even mentioned God. God is not anti-planning. God is anti-you thinking you can do life without depending on him for everything. That's what God's anti. That's what God's against here. In verse 14 shows us why this is a problem. He gives two big problems here. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So two big problems. Um, You're not all-knowing and your life is fragile. So one, you're not all-knowing. That first little line there in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You make plans for tomorrow, but you have no real idea what tomorrow is going to hold for you, do you? I mean, you've got plans for after church today, but you have no idea what this afternoon is going to hold for you. We're making plans about things that we are totally, completely, 100% ignorant about. And what verse 14 is trying to show you is that's foolish. Right? You're trying to make a plan and you have zero idea what tomorrow will hold for you. Wouldn't it make sense? To submit that to God and ask him to give wisdom since he's already in knowing of that, right? He's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful, he has all that. Wouldn't it make sense to ask him? We don't know, we make plans, but the problem is we make plans, life inevitably changes. Something happens we don't expect, and then those plans have to change. To quote my favorite theologian, Mike Tyson. He was asked, hey, when you step into a ring, do you have a plan? And what did he say? Well, well, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Right? You know what you're planning on doing to that other guy until he starts punching you in the face. And then the plans just go flying out the window. Many of you have had plans. There's not a single person in this room right now that is exactly where you thought you were going to be 10 years ago. Not a single one of us. Every single one of us, in some way, shape, or form, got punched in the face, 
and life had to change. Every one of us. You thought you were going to do a 20-year career, had one bad jump, next thing you know, you're out of the Army. You thought you were going to spend your retirement years traveling, something happens in the family, next thing you know, you're raising grandkids. You didn't see that coming. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. So it is foolishness for us to think we can make the best plan. Uh, Second, your life is fragile. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The word for mist is the same as breath. Like if you walked outside this morning, and by the way, if you're new to North Carolina, you're asking, so typically is it 80 degrees one day and 20 to the next? Yes. Yes, that's what it does here. You walked out this morning, right, you had that breath, and then it just vanishes. That's the same word God is using here for your life. Forget not knowing what tomorrow is going to hold. Listen to me. You don't know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You have no idea. Your life is fragile. Listen, in a church our size, in a church our size, it is a great possibility that at some point in 2022, I'm going to do a funeral none of us saw coming. Shoot, it, it might be mine. None of us know. None of us know. And so what he's trying to get at here is it's extremely foolish for us to live like a practical atheist, forming our own plans, making our own decisions, doing our own things, and just assuming that God's going to go along with it. We don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. Doesn't it make sense on a, on a, a clear, obvious, spirit-led level? Doesn't it make sense to your spirit, brothers and sisters, to trust God for that? Quit trying to make your own plan. Instead, what should our life look like? Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, instead you say, if the Lord wills. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to constantly walk around saying the phrase, if the Lord wills. You can if you want to, but I don't think the command is that you have to say it, right? If you're eating lunch with a friend this week, you walk in, you're like, hey, order me a water. I'm going to run the restroom right back. I'm going to run the restroom. I'll be right back if the Lord wills. Now, you don't have to throw it in all the time. I don't think the point is that you have to constantly say it. Listen to me. The point is that you would live like that. Not that you would always say it, but that you would constantly live it. The idea behind Christianity is that you have surrendered your life completely and totally to the will and sovereignty of God. You remember James 1.1? The big thing that James, the brother of Jesus, said about himself was that he was a servant of Christ. I do what he tells me to do. I live how he tells me to live. I, I, I follow the path that he lays out for me. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls his first disciples and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, it's not those who say I am Lord who will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's those who do the will of God that will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to just say you're a follower of Christ and then live your life however you see fit. 
You must actually live your life following Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus and doing whatever he tells you to do. Again, some might say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm still not tracking with why this is such a big deal. Verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Look at that verse. God says that what these people are doing is evil. So what's so evil about it? I mean, we have no indication here that they're, they're being sinful in their business practices. So what's the sin here? What is so evil? I mean, they're just working hard. What's the big deal? I mean, they got to provide for their families, right? I mean, doesn't 2 Thessalonians say if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat? I mean, they're just working. Right? They just got a plan, and they put it together, and they're working hard, and they're getting it done. What is the problem? What's so evil here? And we see these people are committing the sin of assuming their plan has to be God's plan. That's what's evil here. That's their boasting. They're boasting in themselves. They have created a plan, and they are arrogant enough to believe that their plan has to be God's plan. I mean, I've got to work. I've got to get a job. I've got to have a place to live. I've got to have a car. I've got to do all that stuff, right? It makes sense. It's logical. Why would God be against that? Why is it so prideful for me to assume this? Why wouldn't God want me to go to that college? It's my dream school. I worked hard for that. Why wouldn't God want me to have that job? It's a great opportunity. Why wouldn't God want me to be married? He's created marriage. Why wouldn't God want us to have kids? He said they're a blessing. It makes logical sense to do this. I don't understand why this is so evil. I can't count the number of times I've had someone come up to me, and you may have been planning to do this after the service, and you're still welcome to do it. I can't count the number of times someone has come up to me and said, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. God gave you a brain, right? God gave you a brain. He expects you to do what's logical and makes sense, right? Well, maybe not. Here's a very important point you need to understand. God's main goal is not to do what makes sense to you. God's main goal is to do what brings him the most glory. And oftentimes what brings him the most glory is the thing that does not make sense in your brain. You have made an idol of your logic and your reason, and you are the person he's writing to in James 4. This is you. It made no sense to walk around the walls of Jericho for seven days. That's the worst military strategy in the history of warfare. But that's exactly why God did it that way. So that only he could get the glory. It made no sense for the Messiah to be murdered on a Roman cross. For the Jews, it was an offense. For the Greeks, it was foolishness. It made no logical human sense to do it that way, which is why God did it that way, so that only he could get the glory. The point isn't for your life to make sense to you. The point is for your life to bring glory to God. 
it's not about you making plans and asking God to tag along and bless it. That's not how Christianity was designed to work. Jesus bought you with his blood. You belong to him. Colossians 3 says it's not just that Jesus is a big part of your life. Colossians 3 says right now Jesus is your life. And I know, I know when you got saved, the pastor said raise your hand and repeat after me and you just don't have to go to hell when you die. But Christianity is infinitely more than that. Christianity is about you completely surrendering and submitting every square inch and every nanosecond of your being to him. And now you only do what he tells you to do. You only live how he tells you to live. You only think and say the way he tells you to think and say. Everything belongs to him. You are his servant. That's the point. You die and he lives through you. Anything apart from that is a distorted, mutated form of Christianity that is no longer Christianity. It's practical atheism. It's therapeutic deism where you believe in a higher power and you believe in God and you said the prayer and when things are bad, you want to go to God to help them make things better. But you got the small stuff. You got it. I mean, God gave me a brain. And what I want you to see is this is a grave sin. Verse 16 calls this evil. It's evil. And then verse 17. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James knows that it's far easier to think about and talk about humility and dependence on God than it is to actually live it. He knows that. Yet he makes the mind of God very plain here. As we know these things, we are accountable to do them. Think about Christianity again. Think about just God and his relationship with humanity. Go back to Genesis. So if you're back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, what's the one command God gave them? Do not eat from that tree. Out of any tree of the garden you may eat, but out of that tree you cannot eat it. Right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God do that? What's up with that? Was God just arbitrarily picking a tree just to see if they'll obey him? No. It was the knowledge of good and evil. The point of that tree was when you take after that tree, when you eat out that tree, what you're saying is, I've got this God. God's whole intention for Adam and Eve and all of humanity was that we would trust him for everything. We would go to him for everything. He would be our guide. He would be our source. He would lead us. All we do for all of knowledge and all of wisdom and everything of life is we go to God and trust God and God leads us. By going after that tree, what Adam and Eve were doing is saying, I've got this. How big is what we're talking about here in James 4, 13-17? It literally was the foundation for all of us going to hell. I got this. Thanks, God. We trust you for the big things. You created us. Thanks. But, but there are surely things that I can determine if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I know things that are right to do and wrong to do. I can discern that. I can do that. I can think through those things. Thanks, God. I got, I got this. That's literally the foundation for your damnation. It's that big of a deal. 
but then God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because again, what the scriptures would say is, now that we have the, desire, the, the ability to make our own choice, we all choose not the great thing. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all wander away from God. Again, I told you an, a, a couple of weeks ago, Proverbs 9, 10, we, there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to destruction. We go down roads that we think are going to be good, but the end in death. And that's why Jesus came, to die in your place for your sin, to make you one with God. Now, the whole point of Christianity is now, through faith in Christ, you get to abide with God, be with God, one with Him. He one with you, His Spirit alive in you, leading you, guiding you, directing you, correcting you, moving you, showing you wisdom. This is the whole point of the faith. That you would day in and day out, moment by moment, seek to live a life totally surrendered to Him. This is the point. And only in this do you find the true fruit, the true power of being one with Christ. It is a distorted, warped view of Christianity that says, I trust God to save me, but I've got this whole life thing figured out. I can figure it out on my own. That's not Christianity. So then how do we do this? I'm going to give you four things. Four things I think we need to live in this, to live this out. The gospel, the scriptures, prayer, and wise counsel. So first, the gospel. What do we mean by that? The gospel is that God loves you so much he sent his son to die in your place to take away your sins and make you a child of God. Jesus Christ shed his blood. God desired you so much that he killed his son so that he could walk in relationship with you. And here's the point. Listen to me. Anyone who gives that much for you, you can trust them with your future. In order for you to trust God in walking in wisdom in day-to-day life, set your heart and mind again on the gospel that God loves me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to take away my sins, make me one with him so that he can literally live inside of me. He did all of that so he can be with me. He did all of that so that I could be one with him. I can trust him. I can trust him. What the gospel does is it wells up in us excitement for trusting God. If he would do that much to allow me to have eternity with him, I can trust him for my 80, 90-something years here on this rock. I can trust him for that. The gospel, we need it. We need to set our hearts on it. We need to soak our hearts up in it because that empowers us to trust God for our future. Second, the scriptures. You need the Bible. You need the Bible to know what you're to do and not to do. Now, let me explain this. The point of the scriptures is not to give you exact directions for your life. So when I got a phone call from the search committee for Southview Baptist Church asking if I would be interested in becoming your pastor, I opened my Bible to look for God to tell me what to do, and I could not find the word Southview anywhere. I pulled out the concordances. I Google searched it. Nothing. Like, it is not. Do you know the word Southview is not in the Bible anywhere? 
then how in the world could I go to God's Word and find direction? The point of the Bible is not to give you exact directions for these questions in your life. So, so stop looking there for that. And I'll also say this. Stop reading the Bible looking for hidden clues as to what God wants you to do, right? You plop open your Bible. It falls to Isaiah. Go to the coastland, say the Lord. God wants me to move to the beach. Right? No. No. Not what that verse means. The point of the Bible is not necessarily to give you exact directions for those questions in your life. Here's the point of the Bible. You ready? The reason we go to God's Word is because as we go continuously to God's Word, we grow in our knowledge of God. And the more we grow in our knowledge of God, the more we will grow in our love for God. And the more we grow in our love for God, the more our heart will line up with God's heart. And the more our heart lines up with God's heart, the easier it will be for us to discern what steps God has for us in our life. Does that make sense? The point of the Bible is not to say, take this job, buy this house, go to this school, declare this major. The point of the Bible is for you to know God. And the more you know God, the more you'll love God. The more you love God, the more your heart will be lined up with his heart. And the more your heart is lined up with his heart, the more clearly you will discern his desire for your steps. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the law of the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean delight yourself in God's word and then he'll just let you do what you want. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What that means is you delight yourself in God and his word and he will plant desires. He will give you the desires for your heart. The more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you grow in your love for God, the more your heart will line up with his heart, the more he will plant his desires inside of you, and you will clearly be able to discern, do I do this or do I do that? Which way is God leading me here? Uh, Third prayer. If you were with us at the beginning of James, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Go to Lord in prayer. Say, God, I need wisdom here. I don't know which way to go. I don't know if I should do this or I should do that. I need your wisdom. You show me. And last, wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Going to godly people who love Jesus and are seeking themselves to grow in the knowledge of God through his word and asking them, do you think I should do this or do you think I should do that? What do you suggest? That's going to help you discern God's will. So let me ask you a question. Do you need today to repent of the sin of assuming your plans are God's plan? As followers of Jesus, we're called to follow Jesus in everything. Where I work, what house I buy, what car I drive, what I put in my 401k, where my kids go to school, how I spend my free time, where we vacation this summer. You're called to follow Jesus in all the stuff. There isn't a single aspect of your life that's just your call. You submit it all to Jesus and say, Jesus, you guide me, you direct me. As I seek you, Lord, and as I grow in your word, as I grow in intimacy with you, and I look at the situation and I research it, I think you're leading us in this direction. Make it clear for me. Give me a piece. If it's not where you want, show me that. Bring me somewhere. It's about you walking in relationship. It's about you walking in relationship with God and seeking him to lead you.
So do you need to repent today of not doing that? Maybe. And, and let me s- transition just for a second and speak to this. It could be some of you here in this room today who are not Christians, and we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here, and maybe someone invited you. Maybe someone tricked you. Maybe they called you this morning and say, hey, let's go get some breakfast. And they swung in this morning and threw you a biscuit. And like, we're going to church. I don't know. But you're here. And we're glad that you're here. As our band comes up, I want, to, I want to draw your attention back to verse 14. I'll read it for you again. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. James 4, 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is short, and you are not guaranteed tomorrow. I'll give you an example. Look at this. So you may recognize that face. That's Bob Saget. Right? If you're, if you're my age, mid-40s, you grew up with Bob Saget, right? He was America's dad. America's Funniest Home Videos. Don't Google his stand-up. You'll have to kick the kids out of the room. But this is a tweet from Bob Saget uh, from January 9th, 2022. He was on a comedy tour. He's in Jacksonville, Florida. Just finished tonight. And you can't read it, but basically what it says on there is just, I had so much fun tonight. This is amazing. I'm addicted to this again. I love doing this. Hey, for all of my upcoming shows, click here. I can't wait to see you in the upcoming dates. I love all of you. And he had no idea that in five hours he would be dead. By all indications, he walked into his hotel room. Something happened. Slipped, tripped. They don't know. Hit his head somewhere. No drugs or alcohol involved. No other health issues. Somehow tripped, hit his head. Assumed he was all right. I just need to sleep it off. Fell in the bed and never woke up again. And what I want you to understand is this. Just a few hours before that, he had every intention of living out the dreams of his life, and he had no idea that in just a few short hours, he would be standing next to his creator, having to give an account for his soul. Now, I don't know Bob Saget. I don't know where he is today and where he's spending eternity. But my point is this. He had no intentions of meeting Jesus that day. And whatever day your day is, you're not going to have any intentions on that day either. But I rest assured, that day is going to come. That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Why does God make a point of saying, Today needs to be the day of your salvation? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Nine months ago, nine months ago, we had a 21-year-old young lady attend our church. With the 82nd, friend invited her. She came and visited in the 930 service, sat right here in front of me. Went through the service, shook hands. Thank you so much. We'll try to be here next week. 
don't know her, don't know her life, don't know her soul. Went home, got in the bed, woke up the next morning, had a jump schedule for that day, went up in the plane, jumped, something happened, and she died. She sat through a service having no idea that would have been the last time she could make her heart right with God. The point is, no one knows tomorrow. So seek the Lord for salvation now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Our band is going to lead us. We're all going to stand and sing. I want to encourage you, two things. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ today, today needs to be the day where you submit your entire life to Him, and you repent of living your life on your own agenda and your own plans and your own goals and your own dreams and just asking God to come behind you and bless your mess. Repent of that. Commit today to live your entire life under submission of the Lord. And every day you're just saying, Lord God, I think this is what you're calling me to do. I think this is your plan. If it's not, show me, direct me, stop me, do whatever you need to do. I'm just going to, all I want to do is follow your path. I submit my life to you. For those of you today who are here and you're not a believer. Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. And your sin, just like my sin, separated me from God. And I needed Jesus Christ to come and save me and make me new. And you need the same thing. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life that you can never live. He died on the cross, the death that you rightfully deserve because of your sin. Because the Bible says that the consequences for all sin is death. You deserve that, but he died in your place. And then he victoriously rose again to prove that he is God and that he can be the only one who can save you. Today, confess and say, Jesus Christ, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to forgive me of my sin and make me new. I submit my entire life to you. If that's your desire, I'll be down front. You're welcome to come forward and talk to me. Now, or after the service, or whatever. But for all of us here this morning, let's take some time And let's set our hearts before the Lord. Life is fragile. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So by golly, let's spend today to the fullest submitted to Jesus Christ. Living lives for his glory and his honor. God, do this in us for your glory. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And let's stand. Let's worship together.
so far from heaven's throne, clothed in human form, you showed the world the Father's love. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away for me. Your grace is broken. My sins are gone, my death's been paid. You gave, you gave your life away for me, for me. You lived a sinless life.
have a seat for me just for a second as we wrap up and get you out of here. Just a couple of quick things for you. Uh, one is this, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, two things, if you are a guest. One, uh, love if you'd come down front. My wife and I are going to be down front. We'd love to say hello. Just put a name with the face. Uh, second, um, if you are a guest, if you can grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298, just so we can know that you're here. We'd love that. But for everyone, we have three big announcements. We want everyone to know uh, what's going on here at Southview. Number one is this, Vacation Bible School. That is coming up on us fast, all right? And so we need volunteers. Text the word volunteer to sign up for VBS. We're going to have training sessions either March 27th or April 3rd. Just pick one. Don't have to go both. But text volunteer to sign up for that. And then for one of those training sessions, really excited. It's going to be a fantastic year this year. It's always such an amazing ministry opportunity for us. So sign up for that. Text volunteer. Second, new members class. That's going to be March 27th, April 3rd, and April 10th. You can text member if you'd like to get signed up for that. The new members class coming up for us. And then third is this, Easter weekend. Easter is coming on us fast. Got a big weekend for Easter. We're going to have a Friday night, night of worship. We want you to be a part of that on Good Friday. Saturday, we're going to have a big church hangout, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have um, Easter egg hunt for the kids and a cornhole tournament. And, and new this year, barbecue cook-off. I'm going to say that again. I'm seriously, if I don't get amens, I'm going to do the whole sermon all over again. I'm not even lying right now, all right? We're going to have a barbecue cook-off. Oh, scared me for a second there. I was like, what in the world? If you're interested in being a part of that, if that's something you'd like to do, if you'd like to test your barbecue skills, we're going to have an interest meeting uh, March 20th. Uh, right after the 11 o'clock service, so you can come be a part of that if you want. Also, we need some pre-filled Easter eggs, so you can get us some eggs. That would be great as well. You can start bringing those um, to the sides over the next few weeks. Uh, and, um, and then Sunday morning, obviously, Easter Sunday, just an amazing service we're going to have. So very, very excited about that. For all the other announcements, you can download our app, iTunes, Google Play. Download the app. You can give online. Uh, through the app or in our giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. All right? I love you guys. I'm so excited for what the Lord is doing in us as a church and in you individually. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.